was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so happy to welcome my guest, star of stage and screen, Joyce Boulafont. Joyce Boulafont appeared in Tall Story and the Paisley Convertible on Broadway, as well as Auntie Mame in Stock, and she starred on screen in The Happiest Millionaire, Love Thy Neighbor, The Bill Cosby Show, I Hate Kids, Weird Science, The Donald O'Connor Show, Big John, Little John, Airplane, Match Game, Hanging by a Thread, and famously The Mary Tyler Moore Show as Marie Slaughter. Boulafont is also the author of the memoir My Four. Hollywood Husbands, and the autobiographical plays Life Upon the Wicked Stage and Remembering Helen Hayes with Love about her mother-in-law. You can see her perform this show in Nyack, New York on Saturday, October 8th. That performance will be followed by an interview with Richard Skipper, and you can find tickets to the program at the link in the episode description. So now, without further ado, here's Joyce Boulafont. So I would love to um, to begin by asking you, how did you first become interested in performing? How did I become interested? Yeah. I was uh, a young girl. I used to go um, to this orphanage and I would give the children there comic books and chewing gum and things, bubble gum. And they would say, thank you. But I thought if I could be somebody like somebody up on the silver screen, somebody important, then it would really mean a lot to them. And I thought, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And I get to uh, help out with children's um, charities all the time. So it okay. kind of worked out the way I wanted it to. I'm a lucky girl. Oh, yeah. That's wonderful too, to look at it that way. And um how did you begin to formally train once you? Oh, well, I started when I was 14 in summer stock, which is the best training you can get. You're right there doing theater and cleaning toilets, sweeping the stage, <laughs> lights, doing the sound, being on the book and playing maids. And then from there, I wanted more formal training. So I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. And right from there, a, um, one of the teachers recommended that I try out for a Broadway play. And I did, and I was the understudy and I played a small role in the uh, play Tall Story on Broadway. So I went right from the Academy right into Broadway, which was great. And then from there into doing television in New York. And um, I've always been very lucky. And what was it like to make your debut on Broadway at such a young age? It was just exciting. It was terribly exciting. I, I, um, I just appreciated every moment and every opportunity that I had, but I had to work hard to get there. Oh, yeah. And to, um, to go back a little bit, were your parents supportive of your interest? In My mother did. My mother and father were divorced when I was young. But my mother and my stepfather later in life that I had a wonderful stepfather and they were very supportive, which was great. I mean, it was wonderful. And what was it like to work with Herman Shumlin on, on Tallstar? <laughs> he was a taskmaster. <laughs> you know, I remember one night I said to him, uh, they were giving notes, you know, and I said, I was really nervous because I wanted to change the way I was reading a line. I just wanted to change the reading, not the line or anything. And I said, could I please try to do that line this way? I think it might be kind of fun. He said, if you want. And I said, okay. <laughs> so that I did. And 
he gave notes that night uh, afterwards. In pre we were in preview. And he said, I gave everyone a note and he didn't give me one. And then the last note was, and Miss Bullifant, go back to the other reading. <laughs> he was really a taskmaster. Oh, yeah. And what do you think makes an ideal director? Is one who gives you permission to find your character, but guide you along the way. You know, that. I've always been told that it's better to give 110% and be pulled back than to not give all the way. And it's a good director, I think, that can let you give too much and then pull you back to where you should be. You were also working with uh, the great star Hans Conried on, on Tall Story. And what was that like to be with him? He was very nice. I mean, they were, I didn't have very much interaction with them. I watched them all the time in rehearsal, but I didn't have that much interaction with him really. And Mark Connolly, I did, and I didn't know till many years later that Mark Connolly had been uh, instrumental in the meeting up of my my former mother-in-law, Helen Hayes and Charles MacArthur. He'd oh. taken her to a party where she met him. And here I was doing a play with him but I, I was just dating Jimmy, but of course that was never discussed. <laughs> Actually, no, I was married to Jimmy when I did Tall Story, oh, yeah. but we never talked about that. It was funny. How did you first meet your husband? Yeah. My husband's is probably, oh, <laughs> it's very embarrassing. <laughs> my first husband I met when I was 14 and we were in uh, school together. And um, we were married right before our 20th birthday. And, um, and then unfortunately and sadly, we were divorced nine years later. And then the next husband, um, I met in the theater workshop. And uh, he was a director and a composer. And we had a son. And unfortunately, seven years after that, um, the uh, I'm very codependent person and I didn't realize that that my husband's had the disease of alcoholism ah. so that's what ended the marriages when I would finally realize this is not a good situation but I didn't know then how to correct it and then my next husband uh Bill Asher uh Eleanor Donahue and I were doing a a television show, Policewoman. And she said, I, there's somebody I think you should meet. He's dating all the wrong women. And, <laughs> and I said, who? And I, oh no, she didn't say his name. She said, I'm gonna have him call you. And I said, well, I don't go out with somebody, you know, alone though that I don't know. And she said, well, I'll have him call you. Well, when he called, I, he said, this is Bill Asher, Harry Asher, Harry, Ackerman's friend or something. And I'm dyslexic and I, I, all I heard was Harry Ashley, <laughs> all mixed up. And then he said, would you like to go see Plaza Suite next week with me? We'll go to dinner and go to the theater. Well, I really wanted to see it. And before I thought, I said, oh, I love that. And he said, great. And then we hung up and I thought, what was his name, Harry Ashley? <laughs> I, and why did I say I go? I don't go out with somebody alone. And that afternoon, I was out for lunch, and this man waved to me across the room. And I, I looked behind me, and like, because I didn't know who it was, he had a beard. And he got up and came to the table, and I said, hello. And he said, Joyce, hello, Harry Ackerman. And I Oh, Harry Ackerman. Yes, it's nice. Nice. I didn't recognize you with the beard. He said, did my friend uh, Bill Asher call you? I said, that's who it was. <laughs> Bill Asher. I said, yes. And I said, I go out with him, but I didn't said it so fast. And I don't know him. And is he a gentleman? And would it be all right, do you think? And he said, oh, yes, it would. He's very much a gentleman. So I thought, okay. So when he showed up, my it was a blind date, and I didn't know all his credits or very much about him at all. I think I 
maybe heard he'd been married to Elizabeth Montgomery, but I didn't pay that much attention. You know, I just, Harry and Eleanor were a very square Hollywood couple and I thought it'd be okay. And he came to the door and my little girl, Mary was uh, in the bedroom with me. I was just finishing up makeup and I, the doorbell rang. I said, honey, would you go to the door? And she opened the door and said, hey, mommy, wait till you see this bozo. <laughs> <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> but we went out to dinner. We went to Lusso Frank's, that famous restaurant in Hollywood. We had so much fun laughing and talking, and we missed the first act of the play. <laughs> the next night, he called and he said, Listen, let's go to see the first act of the play, then we'll go to dinner. And I said, Okay. <laughs> and it, it was a whirlwind romance. Oh. And, um, so we were married three months after we started dating and down came we came down the aisle with eight children <laughs> and uh, big family all of a sudden and then there was someone in between that was a mistake that really should have been annulled it was only a two month oh. I would even call it a marriage we didn't even have a home together and that was not a good thing and um, and then Roger Perry, who was the love of my life that I'd met in 1962. And I was married at the time unhappily because of alcoholism. And I just thought he was wonderful. We were doing a pilot together. And I thought, oh, he's so sweet. And he's so, his little son came to the set and he was such a good daddy. And and I thought, oh my gosh, I think I'm falling in love with him. I can't, I can't do that. I'm married. And I talked to a friend and I said, oh, I know what it is. It's the character he's playing. It's not, I don't even know him, you know, but I really had this thing, this connection. And I felt like he did too, you know? And so later, like four or five years later, when Jimmy and I were divorced, uh, Roger and I got together. And uh, we dated for a year, and then he broke up with me. Oh. And that, that made me really sad, but he wanted to move in with me and have a, a baby and not be married. And, and I didn't do, that's when people were doing that. They were free love, whatever. But I had two little children, that wasn't me. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't do that. Um, and, then time went by and um, and then he, he was married for a long time to Joanne Worley, who's a wonderful actress and a lovely lady, but it wasn't working out. And, and my marriage, the two month one, <laughs> certainly never was working out. And all of a sudden a friend called and said, did you know that Roger and Joanne are getting divorced? I said, is he okay? I mean, I never, he never left my heart, but I never wanted to be with him because I just didn't think, I knew that he had a drinking problem too. And by then I had learned. <laughs> also by then, I didn't know, he had not, he had had treatment and hadn't had a drink for four years. Uh -huh. So um, I got out of that terrible situation I was in. And then Roger and I started seeing each other and little baby, baby, baby steps, a hamburger, dinner, a movie. And all of a sudden that, that spark that was there in 1962 was back. And uh, in 2002, we got married. So oh. that's the men in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so you mentioned um, being dyslexic for a minute. And so how has... Or how have you managed to sort of balance that with your career as an actress? And well, I think that as you get older, I know as you get older, you learn compensation skills. And um, the thing that helped me the most, and whenever I lecture about dyslexia, I always say, teach students to do theater, do a play, because then the words make sense. They're not just black letters on a page. Yeah. They're, they're words you put together with feeling and movement. So it's a kind of kinesthetic way to learn to read. And that really helped me a lot. 
but I have made, I make so many mistakes. So in readings, table readings or anything, or even a first reading of a Broadway play, I remember I said something incorrectly and everybody laughed. Oh. And I, uh-oh. And the director said, that's funny, leave that in. <laughs> so a lot of times the laughs have come from me making a mistake. <laughs> And um, one of the theater projects you did, I know, was Auntie Mame with Gypsy Rosalie. And what was it like to work with her on that? Oh, my goodness. You really have read what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was quite an experience. She, I played um, Gloria Upson, the very upscale, uh, tough <laughs> young lady. And I was getting a lot of laughs, and I don't think she liked it. Oh. And we had a scene where um, we were on a kind of a, um, a chaise that was uh, positioned in a funny way that in order to, to tell her the story I had to tell her, I had to look up this way and then turn out to the audience and look this way. Every night she got further and further back. <laughs> so I just played the whole thing front. <laughs> <clears throat> it was something that was an experience. <laughs> and what made you decide to eventually choose sort of to do work on screen rather than on stage? Oh, that's just whatever came along. Oh, I would love to have stayed. The theater is my my dream. I love the theater the most. But uh, an actor, an actor acts. So they, you know, wherever they get a chance. You know, uh, when I was married to Bill Asher and I got the script for Airplane, I read it and I said, this is the most stupid movie <laughs> I've ever read in my entire life. I don't want to do this. And he said, oh, come on, everybody's doing cameo roles and everything. I said, there is, I, there's no way I'm going to do this. He said, you are an actress, you act. And I've always remembered that, you know, it's... Um, Whenever you get a chance, that's what you do. That's what you love. And that's what I do. And that's why I did it. <laughs> and even on the set, we were walking up and down, walking up and down going, do you think this is funny? <laughs> and so um, how did the Paisley convertible happen? Oh, the Paisley convertible. That was a very exciting because that, that was the lead in a Broadway play. And I... I auditioned for it. They had auditions out in California. And I auditioned with Warren Berlinger. And he was going to play the husband. And um, on my birthday, December 16th, I got a call. And they said, you got the part. And I said, I've got the lead in a Broadway play. I was so excited. And uh, I, I uh, figured with the children, I had Mary and Charlie then. And Mary stayed with my mother in Pennsylvania so she could come in um, back and forth. I could see her. And Charlie was in first grade and a teacher didn't want him to miss school. So he stayed with his father and a housekeeper. And had the play been successful, then they would have, everybody would have come into New York. I'm going to, Violet, you got to stop. No, no, no. But the, uh, the flowers lasted longer than the play, the opening night flowers. But after Warren Berlinger, then Sam Waterston what came in to replace him, which I had no idea. Then we were in previews and a terrible thing happened. One night after the performer, the preview performance, um, the producer, um, Mike Ellis and the director, James Hammerstein, said they wanted to talk to me. Now this was kind of in a period when you can be replaced in a play. And I thought, this is it. That, you know, they, they, they first got rid of Warren, now they're gonna get rid of me. And I loved working with Sam. He was, he worked, he worked from the inside out, which made comedy to me better, playing truth. Yeah. And, um, but they said, we're replacing Sam. And we absolutely, do not, we forbid you to tell him because he's got to do uh, a few more performances in preview. And if he knew it would be very upsetting to him, you may 
not tell him because I thought he was just so good and and I was a terrible situation for me to be in and um one night before we were going to go on I heard these footsteps up the steps and his dressing room was next to mine I heard the person go in there and uh, and there was all this commotion I thought what's going on you know and all of a sudden Sam opened my dressing room door and he said how dare you how dare you not tell me Oh. You know, and that's how it was left. And we did the show, and um, then Bill, Bill Bixby came in. And Bill was very slick, you know, but I think it would have been a better show if Sam had been able to stay in the role. But it's always troubled me. I've never been able to explain that situation to Sam. And I'd always been told growing up in the theater, the director's word is God. You don't question it you know and um but it made me sad because I think he he thinks I did a bad thing oh yeah so if you ever interview him you can tell him (laughs) (laughs) and what is your opinion on critics in the theater and and in movies oh boy you know what I never read reviews before I go to something because I don't want to be pre have a predisposed position to what I'm going to see or look for a fault that mentioned. However, <laughs> lately, I think I should have read a few <laughs> in the theater and gone, I don't like to leave in the middle of the show. I never do. But boy, I, I've wanted to a few times. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's a lot of money now, so maybe I should read the review. <laughs> I, I think I I think as a performer, you probably can't really listen to reviews. I luckily I've always had good reviews. So maybe I like listening to them. <laughs> but I um thank God. And how do you find that acting is different on stage versus on screen? Um, I think that the theater is more rewarding because you you get immediate gratification from your work, you know what people are thinking, you know, is it working? You get to try, oh, that didn't work. Uh, I'm going to try it this way, you know, oh, that's better. Or you get that feeling from the audience when something is working or isn't working. And I love that. That's why I think the best medium and the most fun is doing what they call three cameras, really four camera with an audience. So you, you're really doing a new play every week and you have an audience. And so you don't get bored with doing the same play over and over. I would love to ask about working with Fred Astaire. Oh, my gosh. Okay. The, uh, just heaven. And I just, um, he was such a gentleman and so kind and sweet. And what a dream. I mean, since I was a little girl going to the movies, I always dreamed that I would be able to dance with him and I would be in a, a beautiful ballroom in a chiffon dress and be lifted in the air. And what happened is that uh, we did get to dance together and it was the twist. <laughs> and he didn't know how to do it. He said, Miss Bullapont, please, will you teach me the twist? And he kept calling me Miss Bullapont. And I said, Mr. Astaire, please don't call me Miss Bullapont. Call me Joyce. But I could never call him Fred. So I guess, and and one time I was at a charity ball and I was dancing and he cut in on my partner and he said, hello, Miss Bullifant, I don't know if you remember me, I'm Fred Astaire. (laughs) Yes, I remember you. And I would also love to ask about Eva Legallion, who you worked with in Therese Rakan on screen. Oh, Eva Legallion. That was... um, that was a live show. And um, I I just played a small role, but how thrilling to work with Eva Legallion, uh, be on the same screen with her. Uh, it was, I think, play of the week. I think it was the Therese Raquin. I would love to get a copy of that. And I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure, but that, yeah, that will be exciting to see. Um, and how did the happiest millionaire happen for you? Sorry? 
Oh, uh, how did the happiest millionaire happen? Oh, that's a good story. AJ Carruthers and Carol Carruthers, his wife, were very good friends. And I had um, a son and I just had a daughter and we would go to their house for dinner and he'd say, oh, we're having the hardest time casting the role of Rosemary, who's plays opposite Leslie and Warren. You know, we need a, a young girl um, who can dance, sing. And, and I, was, I was sitting at the table going, I wonder, <laughs> like this, but you know, he saw me as a young matron with two children. I was 28 and they were needed a 17 year old. And I knew I could play younger because I was always cast younger, but I couldn't say, AJ, please let me try out for you. I, so I didn't say anything. And then one night, again, we were at a charity ball and um, AJ Carruthers, who was the screenwriter and Richard Sherman and his wife and Jimmy and I were all there. And um, Richard turned to AJ and said, is Joyce an actress? And AJ said, oh yes. And he said, but she's our perfect Rosemary. <laughs> and, and that's how it happened. Oh, wow. And then I did a screen test and I got. And so I'd love to ask about working with uh, Greer Garson on, on The Happiest Millionaire. Oh, I didn't do any scenes with her. Oh. I really only had scenes with uh, Leslie Ann. And um, well, in the big ballroom scene, I, there were a lot of people but I didn't get to interact very much with her, but what a beautiful woman. And actually AJ's wife, Carol Carruthers, my very good friend, has all of the qualities of Greer Garson. She looks like her and she's ladylike like her. And what was it like to do this uh, sort of reunion concert of it that you did in 2018? Oh yes, that was fun. I did hurt my back though, and I had to come home in a wheelchair. Actually, oh. my hip was my hip. Um, and I had to get a new hip when I came home. But I had fun. Leslie Ann and I had a great time. It was, everybody was so great. It was really fun to do that. Oh, yeah. And so how did the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show first come into your life? I had done the, the Bill Cosby show uh, where he played as uh, a football, I'm sorry, a basketball coach. And I played the school guidance counselor. That was the first Bill Cosby show. And um, Ed Weinberger, who was a writer on the Mary Tyler Moore show, wrote a show called The Longest Hook Shot. And um, he loved my work in that and suggested me for the role in the Mary Tyler Moore show. That's how that happened. Oh, yes. And what was it like to work with Gavin McLeod? I love Gavin. Oh. You know, people say, People say, you know, that person, he never said a word, a bad word about anybody. Well, that's Gavin, truly. He never said a bad word about anybody or any play or any food or anything. Everything was wonderful for him. And even when a play would be a real stinker, he'd say, wasn't it wonderful? And didn't you love somebody? <laughs> he was really like that. He was, I miss him very much. And what made the show so successful? The writing. Um, you know, you're nothing without good words. You can have all the technique and be funny and be brilliant. But if you don't have good words, forget about it. I mean, Shakespeare said it, right? The, <laughs> the play is the thing. And, and those writers, they, they just polished up a script till it was shining like a bright diamond. <gasps> And would you ever suggest changes to the script as an actress? To the Mary Tyler Moore show, no. Uh, in other shows, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, sometimes, you know, make a suggestion. What do you think about, or would it be funnier if you transpose that sentence, that kind of thing? Oh, yes. And you were also working with the great Betty White, and, and what was that like to be with her? Uh, she's the sweetest. She was, she said, when, whenever I tell a naughty joke, it sounds like a nursery rhyme. <laughs> uh, just fun, just fun and joyous. She really was. 
all those dear people, you know, and I guess I'm one of the last left standing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's weird. <laughs> I keep thinking I'm 16. <laughs> Um, you, I know you did uh, many game shows on TV over the years, and what did you enjoy about that? I think the camaraderie of, of the cast and meeting these wonderful stars that would come on, you know, when you were doing it, and, and making people laugh, and that, that makes you very happy to be able to do that. It was all very spontaneous humor on Match Game, and Password I was really good at password because being dyslexic, you are always using mnemonics. You have to think of one word to get to another one. And that's what password is. So it was a perfect game for me. And um, were there any especially memorable stars to meet on these game shows? I loved Ethel Merman. Oh. I, yeah, I, I, she was terrific. and kind of unexpected. I just, uh, she said she worked as a volunteer at the Roosevelt Hospital. And um, this one lady came into the gift store and said, oh, you look just like Ethel Merman. And she said, well, I am Ethel Merman. And she said, no, no, you look like her. Said, I, I am Ethel. She said, no, no, you just look like her. <laughs> it's my name tag, I'm Ethel Merman. <laughs> And were there any game shows that were especially hard to play? Some of them were. I mean, I did so many pilots, you know, for game shows that didn't sell. But sometimes um, if, if things weren't funny and you had to really try hard to make it funny, and that, that, that was difficult. But um, yeah. those would mostly be pilots. Crosswits, I worked on a lot helping with that actually. The, the pilot, the first uh, show that we did, it was, fell flat. And I went up to the writers and I said, you know, I think it's much better if you don't give actors what to say, let them come up with it themselves, you know? And so the second round, that's what they did. It was much better. They had written jokes for the people and that doesn't always work. It's just like the award shows where they write inane, stupid things for the presenters to say. It'd probably be better if they just came out and were natural. <laughs> and, um, what has it been like to work professionally with your son, John Asher, which you've done several times? The hardest thing working with John is that he gets to call me mom and I have to <laughs> in something else. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's great. He's so fun to be around. He just brings everybody a lot of joy. He really does. And he's a great director too, and writer. And he's dyslexic. Oh. And what was it like to be working with Lauren Bacall and with him on Diamonds? Well, you know, I didn't, uh, I worked with Kurt Douglas. It's funny, Kurt Douglas and I started off in the very same Summerstock Theater in New Angola, Pennsylvania, called the Grove Theater. I think now it's a Catholic church. <laughs> and um, he, 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 was, he was just fun. He was sweet and down at Coyd. But I just had a few scenes with him. Um, how do you find that the actors of today are different from the older actors who you've worked with? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I think a lot, are not as appreciative of the people who work around them and help them, wardrobe, hair, um, makeup. Uh, th that, that's about it. I, and a lot of them are well-trained. A lot of uh, screen stars can't go to theater, you know. Uh, and, and the vice versa, sometimes people in the theater are too big for the for film, for the small screen. They have to really tone it down. And that's uh, interesting. Oh, yeah. And um, was there ever a show that you worked on that you thought deserved a longer run than it got? Oh, yes, absolutely. 
Love Thy Neighbor. And that, that was so much fun to do. Hal Cooper was the director. And I loved it because I got to do physical comedy. It was with Ron Masak, played my husband, and uh, Harrison Ford. And Kelly Day, I always, I, I love this actress. I love that, her so much. And, I, and her name always, I'm looking at her face. And I always have trouble with her name. I don't know why. Um, but it was about a black and white couple living next door to each other and their friendship. And the black man, the black couple were the boss of the, the white husband. And how he does all of says and does all inappropriate things. And, um, it was number three in the nation wow. on a ABC. But they had to take us off because Julie Harris was coming in in a show called Over the Pickle Factory. And so we were kind of a summer replacement and it didn't do well. So ABC decided to put us back on, but they didn't do any, they didn't put us in the same time slot. They didn't do any PR for it. And people said, so it, fizzled out because people didn't even know we were back on. Oh, and somebody said uh, at that time, if you want to get rid of the Vietnam War, put it on ABC <laughs> because it disappeared. And what do you think are the best time slots for sitcoms? That's a good question. I, I would think eight o'clock. But oh. today, everything's changed so much. I don't know. Families don't eat together, and I, so I don't know, but I would think eight o'clock. You know what's a funny new show? Uh, a, an English show called Friday Night Dinner. It's so funny. If you like Faulty Towers and that kind of humor, it's just, it's edgy. It's very fun. And do you have a favorite of the shows that you were on to watch now, or do you rewatch the shows that you were on? Sometimes I do. Um, I love doing Westerns. And my favorite one was with Michael Parks. It was on Wagon Train. Um, Mike, the Michael Malone story. And it, it's very um, apropos in a way to today. And it's a love story. And it's, it was... I, I love when I get to do straight things or drama, which I'm not asked to do very often. And that was a straight love story. So that was fun to do. And what was your experience like with the Brady Bunch, where I know you were the first choice for? <laughs> that was an interesting experience. Um, I was signed, sealed, wardrobe, ready to go. And two days before the show, um, New York, which I didn't know, had the, a final say. And it, it was all done, but then Florence Henderson became available and they wanted Florence. So goodbye, Joyce. <laughs> and it was, all the, the little girls were cast to look like me. And um, I, was, I was ready to go to work uh, for two weeks. I was wardrobe. They sent a limousine to the house and off we went and bought clothes. And it wasn't until I was showing the director and the producer the clothes that they said, sit down, we're having problem here. And oh. they had to recast, they had to recast the housekeeper because I was gonna be the funny one. The housekeeper was gonna be the straight one. But with Florence doing it, they had to make the housekeeper funny and Florence straight. That's showbiz. <laughs> I think you would have been better on it personally. <laughs> that would have been fun to see you on. Well, it was very successful and Florence was very good. It would have been a different show had I done it. Okay. And what was it like to work with Bill Cosby? As you mentioned, you did twice on, on those shows. Bill Cosby? He couldn't remember his lines. <laughs> and um, I remember friends and family would say to me, oh, you're such a good listener. You know, when you're acting, it's as if you're hearing it for the first time. And I said, I was hearing it for the first time. <laughs> I had no idea what he was going to say. I don't know how he did the other show with the kids. 
because he really couldn't remember his lines when I was doing it. We did so <laughs> and I was good at improv, so I, I kept getting called in. <laughs> and what is your own process like of memorizing lines? That's interesting. I um I read through the script, of course, and then I do it kind of scene by scene. And I uh, memorize and then I, I put my hand over the lines and then I uh, memorize that. Then I go into the next one, memorize that. Then I go back and memorize the first one, then the second one. Then I go down and read the third one. Then I put first, second, third, like that. But really doing it in character. Each time I do it, I do it, say it out loud. And a show I'd love to ask you about was a less successful show called uh, Big John, Little John with Herb Edelman. <laughs> you know, that was Dear Sherwood Schwartz, who did the Brady Bunch. He was so upset that I didn't get the role because he wanted it to be more like the Lucy show. And he said, if Lawrence does it, it'll be more like the Donna Reed show. <laughs> it didn't matter because it was a successful show. But he was, he felt so terrible about my not getting the role, not doing it. And he even came to the house that night to talk to me, to tell me he didn't call or have an agent call, he came. And he said, the next thing I do, you're in it. That was the next thing he did. <laughs> and that, that was fun. And how did the decision come to write your memoir? Oh, I, I think it was after, I know it was, after Bill Asher and I separated, um, I moved up to Colorado where my two eldest children, Mary and Charlie, live. And I thought, what the heck am I going to do? And I thought, I've always wanted to write. So the idea to write was to write a book called Home Sweet Home, Where Is It? Because when I was 50 years old, I sat down at the dining room table and figured out I'd lived in 50 houses. And um, so I, that's what it was going to be about where I lived, the experiences there and all that. And then Roger and I were married and I, and it was not finished. I kept, I put it aside and a friend called me who's a writer and he said, I have the title for your book. And I said, oh, really? What is it? He said, my four Hollywood husbands. I said, that's disgusting. I would never title my book that. That is so tacky. I wouldn't even dream of it. But it might sell books. <laughs> so I changed the whole thing. And the purpose, I thought, if I'm going to write that, then I'm going to write something that I hope will be meaningful and help people. So it's about the disease of alcoholism, codependency, and how it affects the family and the children. That's what it's really, with the background of the golden age of Hollywood and, um, and a Rogers and my love story woven through it. And what is the process like of sort of editing yourself when you're writing? And Oh, well, um, being dyslexic, it was hard. Oh. I, started off, I started off writing um, up in the mountains. I would go down to the kitchen and make a pot of tea bring it up to the bedroom, get under the covers in my Lance nightgown, <laughs> a yellow legal pad and start writing. And then I would go back and there'd be arrows all over and it was a mess. And then, so I would correct it. And then I would talk it into a tape. And, um, and I talked it into the tape from what I would, had written. I would do another edit as I was talking. And then I'd send it off to be transcribed. It would come back. And then I'd do another edit. And it went on like that until it became about my four Hollywood husbands. And when that happened, um, Roger and I were in LA and he was having treatment for cancer. And um, I, so I thought, well, I'm gonna start on, on this whole idea with our love story and thing. And Roger was wonderful. I'd write a chapter on the computer now, and he would correct the spelling and uh, correct if something needed to be here instead of there. 
So that was very helpful. And it, what was made me happy about that is all through the book, he got to read about how much I loved him and how much I respected him for being able to be strong enough to, to get well from the disease. That was, that was the process. And then I had 700 and some pages and I gave it to an editor and she started editing. We sat side by side editing. And then I learned how to edit from her. And um, so I would go off and then I'd say, oh, I really like this part, but it doesn't move the story along. So out it would go. And it's like cutting up your arm. Oh. But, uh, I learned a lot from her. And then, and then it was published. Right, right. It's doing well. It sells a lot. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Congratulations. Though. Thank you. Thank you. And so um, how did the inspiration come for the show that you're about to perform in October, the show about Helen Hayes? Oh, that came about because Roger and I were living in Colorado and we were trying to raise money to start a, an advocacy center for abused children. So we did every two character play we knew. And then we decided we ran out of plays <laughs> and, um, and we were raising money, you know, doing that for the center. And then um, I did one called My Life Upon the Wicked Stage, all about all the questions you're asking me right now. <laughs> and, uh, and then I thought, you know what might be interesting is to do a show telling the relationship between the first lady of the American theater who became my mother-in-law and close friend and mom and, and me, because it was a very, very close relationship. And, and it really had its ups and downs, sad for her, sad for me. And um, I thought people might be interested. They might learn something. They, the relationship between an older woman and a young woman, both actresses and everything they go through. And so I decided to write that and it was another way to make money for the center. So I've, I've done it quite often, either to raise money for uh, theaters or schools. You know, what, it's a, a wonderful vehicle for that. And I'm really thrilled because I'm gonna be doing it in her own hometown. So that's really wonderful. I'm very excited. And did you, as you mentioned, you were both actresses and did you get a lot of sort of advice from her? No, um, I never did. It, it, was, it was interesting. She only told me one thing, gave me one acting note once. And that was my senior play at the American Academy. I got to do a serious role and I was serious. <laughs> And um, she said, you know, no matter how serious you are in a play, don't forget the funny bone. And I thought that was so interesting because it's in a way, it's like saying it needs hills and valleys of no matter what play you're doing. And I, I always love that. As a matter of fact, that was one of the titles I thought of for my book, Don't Forget the Funny Bone. Oh. It's it's a great a great way to go about life, not forgetting the funny bone. There's always a funny side to everything. And did you have a relationship with your father-in-law, Charles MacArthur, as well? And yes, yes, I did. Um, but it was short-lived because I only knew him uh, for two years, and um, and then he passed away. But uh, what a funny guy. <laughs> he was quite sick, though, by the time I met him. Uh -huh. And he had struggles with alcoholism, especially after his daughter Mary died. It became worse. Uh -huh. That's all part of the story I have with Helen, too. And I believe that um, your relationship with Lillian Gish is also included in the play. And, and what was she like? Yeah. She was... An angel on this earth to me, 
She was always by my side, no matter how upset Helen would become with me. She would always be there for me. And uh, it, she was just a wonderful, wonderful person. She was my fairy godmother. She's my, my son Charlie's godmother, and she was Jimmy's godmother, but she was my fairy godmother. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And so um, to bring us up more to the present day, what was the experience of the pandemic like for you and the quarantine and all of that? You know, I was so lucky because my son, John, he, he was afraid I'd go out knowing me. And he came to live with me for a year in the desert just to make sure that I did the right thing. <laughs> I didn't go out and party and be with friends and everything. And we ended up having so much fun. If you get a chance, you might enjoy, I don't know if you've seen on YouTube, we did some videos during uh, COVID. Um, just little sketches for fun. Oh, and uh, people really enjoyed them. They kept saying, do more, do more. I don't know how you, how you um, I don't know how you find them actually. I have to ask John. I, maybe if you put John Asher or Joyce, in YouTube, it might come up. Oh yes, I'll definitely look for them. I would love to see them. It was fun. But what isn't it, isn't it strange now that we're not so careful, but that we're more, we're out there now again, to even think that ever happened? Yeah. You know, it's, it's very surreal and almost kind of a lesson in how you can get through the bad stuff and everything will come out okay in the end, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is. And um, going forward, uh, what kinds of projects would you like to be doing on stage and screen? And oh, on screen? Well, right now, anything anybody offers me, <laughs> I'd love to do. And I have three other books that I need to get busy with. So oh. I've got to work on those. And then the, um, the final question I'd love to ask is, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, but with such a wonderful career, um, what advice would you give to someone just starting out? Oh, I always have another career you can fall back on. That's the best advice I can give. <laughs> and again, don't forget the bunny, funny bone. Don't. Don't get discouraged. Um, keep trying, but have something else you can fall back on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. So nice to meet you. You're such a good interviewer. Oh, thank you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. And remember to come back next time when I am joined by Broadway legend Faith Prince. Faith Prince is a four-time Tony nominee for her performances in A Catered Affair, Bells Are Ringing, Guys and Dolls, and Jerome Robbins Broadway, and her other Broadway credits include Disaster, Annie, The Little Mermaid, Noises Off, The King and I, James Joyce's The Dead, What's Wrong with This Picture, and Nick and Nora. Her off-Broadway credits include A Man of No Importance, Bad Habits, Falsetto Land, and Little Shop of Horrors, and she also starred on screen in Dave, Drop Dead Diva, Emily in Paris, Monarch, and Spin City. You won't want to miss this interview, so make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.